0: It's never more true than now that you can only really learn by doing. And I think if we keep that very much to mind now as we enter in this new world of of AI, then that can only be a good thing for us and protect against some of these unforeseen circumstances.
1: Q4 is almost here and the stakes are getting high. Brands are really feeling the pressure and are unsure how to optimize their digital campaigns. But the good news is that automated creative have analyzed over 6 billion impressions and surveyed top marketers to deliver vital insights. And we're gonna be presenting this at a virtual event called Compounding Creative Effectiveness, an urgent Q4 wake up call. So boost that Q4 spend, get some actionable steps for success. And let's not just meet those targets, let's go far, far beyond. All the links you need are in the show notes below. Thank you. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative. We're a a creative effectiveness ad tech platform. Help turn brands' impressions into intelligence. Um, But part of what we do is we do a podcast. Uh, I think we've done about 250 episodes or so. And every week we get to interview Uh, significant leaders from the industry about their vision uh, for the future and what is in fact their uh, shiny new object. We're gonna talk, uh, have a discussion about artificial intelligence today. So I just wanna prep it a bit so the way that I'm looking at it at the minute that AI is unbelievably amazing. And this is a great example of that recently. A long, long time ago at Lady Winterbottom's lovely tea party, which is...
0: In the smoking ruins and ashes of New York City. A fierce woman ain't playing no games and is out to kick some butts
1: against the unimaginable,
0: brutal, merciless, and scary...
1: Lobby boy of the delightful Grand Budapest Hotel.
0: Hi. Then everything seems doomed and lost until... A super handsome man arises, the true hero and great mastermind behind all of this.
1: The the really crazy thing about this though is there was no code, there was no shoot, there was no nothing. It was just all generated on someone's laptop in in a very short amount of time. So you know, what does that mean for all of our careers? So that's exciting. That's an opportunity. But actually AI is also quite scary. Uh, You know that uh, uh, Snap has its own AI uh, LLM built into the tool. And I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, someone said, do you have access to my location? No, I don't. Where am I? I'm sorry, but I don't have access to your information. Oh, are, are you lying? No, I don't have access to your location. This is quite reassuring. Uh, where's the close-ups? McDonald's. Oh, it's just around the corner. Right. So it's a bit scary. So is it amazing? Is it scary? Don't worry. We have Jerry here. Um, so Jerry, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you
0: give us a quick? Yeah, So my name's Jerry D'Angelo. Uh, I was until very recently the vice president of global media at Procter and Gamble. Uh, I've now actually retired from that role, which is a very kind of American way uh of moving on from a, a an employer. And uh I'll be starting some advisory roles in September of this year. Congratulations, man. Thank you.
1: So on the podcast, we always there's kind of fixed questions, and and the ch- the question that you've chosen is what advice would you give to a smart driven student who wants to make it in the industry?
0: um so I, I think probably the best way of answering that question is what would be the advice that i i would give myself at that stage and if i look back at my career i have spent over 30 years working in both agencies and on the corporate side um and i've been very very lucky so the advice that i would give to anyone starting in the business if they're young and hungry and dynamic and determined to get success is just make room for some luck because if I look back at my career, uh, there have been two or three occasions where luck has played a big part in making the right move at the right time. So taking a step back, letting events kind of play out and allowing luck to play a role in the development of your career would be the advice that I would give.
1: Can you just dig into that a little bit? Uh, that makes sense. Sure. How would, how would someone in the room who's, who's try, trying to, you know, Follow your career to a degree. How would you make room for look? Is that a psychological thing or are you putting yourself well, in a position
0: where? I, I think probably the best way of, of, um, putting a pin in that is to say, like, be, be curious. So if I look at a, a couple of the big opportunities that I had, I think one of them came from me absentmindedly scrolling through LinkedIn one Sunday morning. Okay. And I just happened to come across a role that looked very interesting. And on the back of curiosity, I kind of double clicked on that a little bit and uh, uh, was able to to realize it was a really good gig working for Mondelez International at the time in in Zurich. Um, And the other one is just be open to conversations, right? Events like this, or more broadly in your career, you just never know where some of those very, very kind of Innocent uh, conversations may lead and and network like like crazy and allow your networking to be powered by that level of curiosity. Another question we
1: always ask on the podcast, and I'm fascinated to know what you're going to come up with, but what is your top marketing tip that... That spanned your entire career, that you've
0: shared the most often, that you think really represents the one thing that everyone in this room got it. Okay, so th- the one thing that I've tried to hold true to throughout my career is understanding the difference between marketing fundamentals and those things that might come along on top of that, that might be very specific tactics that would be relevant to a particular time or a particular place, and that allows you to kind of hold on to things. In a way that ultimately will be business drivers and it means that you don't spend excessive time and energy running after lots and lots of things where ultimately you'll look back at those things and you'll realize it was somewhat of a box checking exercise and wasn't ultimately ending up in something that was driving the business that you working for at the time or your own kind of personal development so if you can understand and differentiate between those fundamentals and those things that are a little bit more tactical that kind of might fade over a, uh, over a point of time, then that would be the one thing that I would advise that everyone does in their career
1: so now we're going to move on to your shiny new object, which is AI and the future of marketing. No, I think I know what that means right. What does that mean to you, and why is it your shiny new object?
0: Well, I think it's hard to ignore uh, because uh, certainly on the back of chat GPT from a generative AI perspective. Uh, it's absolutely new and it's absolutely shiny and uh, it cannot be ignored because every time you you flip open Twitter or LinkedIn or even the news, it's absolutely there. So I think it's something that cannot be ignored. And I think the way that, that certainly the company that I used to work for until very recently and a number of large other advertisers, uh, we looked at it with genuine enthusiasm. And the reason that I would uh, frame it like that is because there was a degree of innovation fatigue that was, that was settling in. So yes, we had blockchain. Yes, we had NFTs. Yes, we had the metaverse. Yes, we had associated virtual worlds and goods. But over a period of time, it became very obvious that if you're in a large organization that's, that's manufacturing and distributing and retailing, uh, physical products in the real world, it was very hard to see the practical application and use cases for many of those things. And I think the difference with AI is that those things almost automatically became evident. So from a media perspective, which was the area of the business that I worked in, you could start to see that AI in the broadest sense through the use of technology and data was already very, very prevalent in our business in the way that decisioning was being made in the media space. And I think now from a creative perspective, you'll start to see those use cases as well. I mean, a great example I I, I can provide on, on that is... Uh, a brand manager that was working on a, a hair care brand was telling me just last week that even in pre-production, using Gen AI to come up with 20 different treatments was done almost at the touch of a button in a way that it would never have been able to be done before.
1: So uh, I was lucky enough to join a session um, with your peers on the World Federation of Advertisers, yep. uh, your, your media group. So you're unbelievably well networked with these other senior m- media leaders globally. So I'm, I'm
0: curious to know uh, how are, how are your peers preparing for this at, a, at this high level yeah i think i could sum it up by saying cautious optimism because the optimism is coming about through the immediacy of these use cases uh but the caution is coming about because we've seen a number of different waves of of innovation and sometimes things can go wrong and so that cautiousness is being Manifested by some guidelines. So when it comes to particularly generative AI, you have to take into account a number of different things. So for example, on IP, you have to be very, very watchful that to what degree is your own IP? How can that be protected when you're using prompts to go into a number of these uh, uh, applications? And also the output of this stuff. You also have to be very, very watchful that the IP can be protected and owned in a way that perhaps it, it wasn't before. Um, and also things like product claims. So as well as IP, you just need to be very, very careful that any of the outputs from from generative AI can withstand scrutiny in terms of challenges around product claims.
1: the most influential people in marketing check it out at www.madfestlondon.com so you don't have a crystal ball but uh, your, your opinion is very valid but what do you think is going to happen in the kind of six to twelve month time frame with this stuff what's your prediction
0: so I'd, I'd have to answer that from a very personal perspective uh, but I am, I'm quite glad in a way because for 10 or 15 years, I've witnessed almost in like real time how the creative side of our business, the creativity and the technology side of our business are on two very divergent paths. And that's actually been quite sad to see because you can kind of see them sailing off in, in different directions. And I think where I'm very hopeful for the future is that generative AI in particular can stave off this somewhat uncomfortable reckoning between the two of those things. And it can in turn become the bridge that starts to put creativity and technology back on a path together. And that can only, I think, be good for the industry more broadly.
1: And when it comes to these technologies, do you think we should just get on with it? Or do you think there's a certain amount of like self-governance that needs to happen first?
0: Well, I think we definitely have to get on with things. Um, I think uh, with Gen AI in particular and AI more broadly, it's never more true than now that you can only really learn by doing. And I'm super encouraged to see that experimentation is being encouraged both in large advertiser organizations and also in the agencies. And so I think we have to do that. But we've also got to do that with a very watchful eye on what happened in the past. So there are some things that happened in the past that if we had a sense of being able to ask, you know, what could go wrong, we would have ended up with some much better outcomes. And I think probably the biggest learning from that is in the social media space. And I think if we keep that very much to mind now as we enter in this new world of, of AI, then that can only be a good thing for us and protect against some of these unforeseen circumstances and consequences.
1: I don't know how much you can talk about this, but what you know, as you've sort of left P&G, what, what were you seeing as being the experiments there?
0: So I think the, uh, there was clearly a lot of work that was going on in, in the, the innovation space. So I think people were really tempted by beginning to understand how they could drive innovation and, and MPD. And then right at the other end of the scale, there was a lot of functional work that people are beginning to experiment so that could ai be used to take out a lot of time and manual intervention uh, in those areas so those are the areas that i think i'd see i was seeing the most experimentation on um, and and so
1: you mentioned before like I, ip and so on but what um what do you think the ethical considerations are i know that there's a there's a lot of challenges uh, the people are making around, well, this is this been generated by AI, but that AI was trained on a data set, which tends to be something that a human made. So what's your view on that?
0: Well, I think the watchouts, you've really got to put this into the bucket of um, unforeseen cir- unforeseen consequences in the sense that, yes, you could take time and cost out of the equation, but what's going to happen in terms of the end product? And I think probably a good example of that, I think it was Amazon that was using AI to filter out CVs for recruitment. And they stopped doing that after about four months because they realized that there was an inbuilt bias in terms of ethnicity and gender that was impacting the number of of people, of candidates that they were shortlisting. So I think as long as you're asking yourself the question, what could go wrong? What are the unforeseen consequences of some of this work? then the more guarded you can be against some of those things. So um, I was uh,
1: talking at a, a Google event the other day, which is really interesting. And uh, someone said something that really scared me. And he basically said that, um, that these large language models are based on pre-existing content on the internet. Yeah. Uh, Billions of pages, millions of sites, Wikipedia, and so on. And he was talking about an interesting shift between the way you would search for things. Use a search engine. You you search for somewhere nice to go on holiday, something to eat tonight, whereas these large language models are almost a find engine in a way. You immediately arrive at that thing. What should I do this weekend with my five-year-old? There you go. There's five ideas. I don't have to research it. It's kind of been done for me. So there's this idea that uh, what what the large language models have been trained on are, are people contributing to these websites. But if people aren't going to these websites in the first place, they aren't gonna contribute. So we're we gonna have this, a new form of the internet where we're using these sites a lot less and we're relying on large language models a lot more for answers. i curious to know how you think that will play out and how that affects Yeah, things.
0: I think from a, a user perspective, the, the utility is gonna be much greater that if you put in a, a question, a query or a prompt, and you get back a much more kind of holistic answer, it's going to be super useful. So I can understand from a consumer perspective how people will lean into that. But it is going to raise questions from a content perspective. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. If, you know, if, the, if people weren't going to these sites and creating the content, is this going to kind of create this negative spiral? I hadn't thought about it that way, but I do think about it from an IP and a monetization perspective. Because if content is being scraped relentlessly to create some of these outputs, then what does that really mean for the content providers and how that gets monetized and how people make a living off the back of it? I don't know the answer to that, but I think we certainly need to be asking ourselves some of those questions as these models become more and more prevalent in their usage. I was uh, watching a presentation by
1: our global head of strategy, uh, Amy Wright, and she was saying that we all need to make a choice between good, Fast and cheap, and, and we've been in the AI automation space as a business for for five years. And I think what she says is very true. You know, um, or someone said recently also, like shit that arrives at the speed of sound is the speed of light is still shit. Right? And uh, um, uh, and what we find is it's the intersection of these tools that do things very fast with kind of human creative and strategic thought that produces the optimal. Results. I'm kind of curious to get your view
0: on that. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, look, I I certainly accept the premise, what do you say, good, fast, and cheap. Uh, In an ideal world, you'd have all of those things, I think. But it's very, very hard, I think, to get 100% delivery on all three of those things, and you're going to end up making some compromises somewhere. Uh, I think the natural bias is going to be that AI will lend itself to faster and cheaper. And the question mark is going to be around the good piece. And I think on the, on the good piece, it's going to be some questions around the veracity of the, the content. And for us as, as big advertisers, that veracity of the content might be in terms of how valid a product claim might be or how ownable a piece of, of IP might be. But I think going forward, it's going to raise more and more questions about the content how it gets provided, how it gets created, how it gets generated, how it gets distributed, how it gets funded. And I, I don't know the, the answer to that. I think it's going to become increasingly yeah. difficult to uh, to deliver on all three. And this kind of technology seems to
1: be available to all. It's quite cheap, it's yep. quite quick, it's quite easy to use. Are there, are there certain brands within, I don't know, like a portfolio, like from P&G, that would find more use from it? Or is it... Everyone should be using these things all the time.
0: I think that, I think it's applicable to all brands. Are you, so you're talking particularly from a generative AI perspective or AI more, more broadly?
1: From a generative AI perspective. I,
0: I think the brands that have uh, gr- a greater degree of or greater potential to drive their business through personalization there's a more kind of immediate relevance and impact for, for generative AI. Uh, because I think one of the things that's held true for Procter & Gamble brands or Mondelez brands or any of the other businesses I've worked at in the past is the ability to have a very, very broad-based appeal and create fame on, on the back of that. And that's been the driver of business success in, in many cases. However, if you are talking, for example, in the diapers business, then being very, very specific to who you're talking to and then being able to speak to the pain points for those individuals and then tailor creative on the back of it. And we've certainly seen that with some of the work that we've done with you uh, for SK2 and Herbal Essences where we've been able to drive uh, much greater or higher effective creative on the back of that much more quicker to market. So we're kind of coming to
1: the last minute now So there's a bunch of people in this room who are excited, maybe slightly worried about the impact of AI. What's the one thing that they should be doing in the next week to help prepare for
0: AI? I'm going to try and give you a very short answer. So experimentation within guidelines.
1: Brilliant. And that is a, a lovely way to finish it. Jerry, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Tom. Hi. Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the shiny new Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use we're an indie podcast so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels that'd just be fantastic if you haven't got time that's also cool and yeah if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also if possible don't forget to subscribe and i'd love to hear your feedback uh if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think i'm asking the wrong questions anything i'd be super interested to hear what you think so please email me at tom at automated that's t-o-m at uh i'm not gonna bother spelling it anyway you'll work it out thanks so much